unveiling the secrets A-list copywriters use to make themselves and their clients millions. This is the Copywriters Podcast with your host, the world's greatest copywriting coach, David Garfinkel. All right, welcome back to the Copywriters Podcast with your host, the world's greatest copywriting coach, David Garfinkel. David, how are you doing today? Nathan, I'm good. How are you? I'm doing fantastic. I'm in a very positive thinking mood today. Um, <laughs> I'm going to turn it over to you, though, on that note. Well, let me see if I can turn that around. No, not really. But, um, you know, when I was an editor on a trade magazine way back in the day, the editor of one of our competitors published this very huffy editorial urging all of his readers who are business owners to fire all negative people. And I thought that was a little extreme and maybe a little foolish if you ask me, because negative people can be a real pain in the ass, but they can also save your bacon when they see you're heading for disaster and you get a constructive warning before it happens. Now, someone who's negative all the time can drive a business to a grinding halt and encourage everyone to compete to see who can complain more. So there's a time and place for negativity, and it's really important to know when that time and place is. And the same thing is true in copywriting. Most of the time, you need to be really positive. But there are times when blind positivity can be hazardous to the health of your business and your copy. And that's what we're going to talk about today. But first, let's talk about this. Copy is powerful. You're responsible for how you use what you hear in this podcast. Most of the time, common sense is all you need. But if you make extreme claims and if you're writing copy for offers in highly regulated industries like health and finance and business opportunity, you may want to get a legal review after you write and before you start using your copy. My larger clients do this all the time. So positive thinking, right? Positive, negative. Positive thinking is important for copywriters and really for anyone in business most of the time. You need to be positive about what you're writing about. If you're saying, well, this might be good, I don't know. That's, that's not going to sell anything, right? You, you need to believe in what you're doing. You need to be positive, in, both in terms of certain and in terms of upbeat and um, enthusiastic. So you need to be positive in that way. And you need to be confident about what you're doing with your business or with your copy. I mean, low energy copywriting gets depressing results, right? But, but here's the thing, Nathan. It's a mistake to never allow negative thinking into the copywriting process. So here's some places, some reasons why you should. Things really can go wrong. Things really do go wrong. Positive thinking does not account for this. Positive thinking says, everything I want, everything I imagine will happen just the way I want it to. So I don't have to pay attention to any other possible outcomes. So as you and I both know, and we've done some pretty awesome promotions, they usually don't come without a few bumps in the road, right? Well, 
I think also um, if somebody's looking to have a problem solved, if somebody's looking to acquire a, a more desirable state of being, they're probably pretty, they're probably feeling pretty negative about where they're at right now. And one of the keys of copywriting is we want to meet them where they're at. We want to join them with the conversation they're already having in their mind. Yeah, a- absolutely. I mean, prospects are not always positive. And here's the thing. Sometimes when you become too much of a positive thinker, you fall under the incorrect illusion that you can will people into being positive or you can simply command people to feel a certain way because you're creating your whole world with your mind. And um, like you said, one of the most important rules of successful copy is meet people where they are. So if you don't have a clear-headed assessment of where they are, if you don't understand that they might have some negativity going on in their own minds, even if you have trained your mind to be positive more of the time and you've learned to edit out a lot of negative thoughts for yourself, if you don't understand that if they were there, they might not need your product, um, it's possible that you could break this rule of meet your people where they are. And you break the rule, your copy will fail. Another reason is just a very practical, it's not psychological, it's just pragmatic. It's always better to catch potential problems before they occur and prevent them rather than to overlook them and deal with them later. And uh, by the way, it'll also save you a lot of money when you do things that way. Nice. So, so, uh, so you've made a compelling argument for why we shouldn't completely avoid negativity and negative thinking, especially in our copy. Where are some places that we should implement negativity or negative thinking in our copy? Okay, so the first thing I want to talk about is process. Things happen in sequences. Sometimes the sequences are deliberate, and sometimes you can just map them looking backward by saying this happened and this happened, this happened. Almost always, you want to do your negative thinking later. You don't want to start out with a negative frame of mind. You want to start out with a positive frame of mind and apply at least the first two of the three things I want to talk about today after your first draft is written, like in what I would call an inspection stage or an editing stage. Because worrying too much about negative possibilities before you even write is like driving with one foot on the gas and one foot on the brakes. You want to write with your engine wide open, flying down the road with as little resistance as you can manage. And then go back later for pit stops to see if there are any problems with the alignment or if you have any cracks in your tires that might lead to flat tires later. Okay? That makes sense? hmm And just for a little bit of clarification, that's in the process of, of coming up with your copy, not particularly in the process of how you lay out your copy, correct? Yeah. To me, the real creativity in copywriting is is at the start with the big idea, the hook, the bullets, the stories. You don't need to start out negative there. But when you start to put it together, when you start to design a web page or a sales letter or an ad, it's okay to, to use some of these ideas at that point. Sure. Gotcha. Okay. So here's the first one. Um, Mac Ross was a friend of mine, a mentor of mine. He used to take the stage with 
Jay Abraham back in the day when Jay did those $25,000 seminars. And Mac came up with this once, what I'm about to tell you. And he didn't even remember it when I told him about it. And he never talked about it again, but I happened to hear it. And I think it's one of the most brilliant things I've ever heard. It scares a lot of people because it's negative. I call it the negative sales track. It's a great way to review your copy after you think you've got it as good as you can get it. Then you take another look at it through this lens and you might find ways to improve it. These are four questions that most copywriters, most business owners never dare to ask. But they really must ask them, as painful as they may be, if they want their ad to work. It's what I call the negative sales track. You know, you might like to envision your prospect as this happy person just waiting to read your sales letter. But in reality, um, they're a busy person. And the more likely they are to spend money with you, the more likely it is that they're probably busy, too. So these are not necessarily conscious questions that come up in the prospect's mind, but this is how they react. When they first see your headline or the opening line of your VSL or your webinar, a question that needs to be answered compellingly, not directly in words, but with something that makes it seem worthwhile is, why are you bothering me? Why are you bothering me? Why, why did you put this? freaking ad in my newsfeed. Why, you know, why did you send me this letter? Why are you bothering me? Okay. So you need to be able to answer that. Uh, the second one is who cares? Uh, okay. So there are uh, 14 seagulls that are not going to be able to fly South this year because the Gulf stream has shifted imperceptibly. Who cares? Right. Why is this important to me? Right. And then, okay, so if you've got those two answers, the third one is, why should I believe you, right? And then, okay, so you're bothering me for a good reason. I can see why I should care about this. I, I, think, I think you're on the level. Fourth question, fourth W is, why should I do anything about it now? I mean, you know, seagulls are going to fly south next year. Why don't we wait till next year, you know? So those four questions, you need to run your copy through it and you need to be able to provide compelling answers that your prospect will come up with. Wow, that's deep. I've never heard anybody um, cover that aspect before, but I can see how stepping back and, and playing the role of the cynic or playing the role of the skeptic and asking those four questions can make you probably realize a lot of weak points in your copy. Absolutely. And again, it's, it's not pleasant. It's not always easy to answer these questions successfully. But once you do, you pretty much have bulletproof copy, right? Nice. Okay, so what else? Okay, so the next, next this question, this, this whole second section is, is based on a question that a lot of people ask, you know, real sarcastically. And the question is, what could possibly go wrong? Right? What, how, what could go wrong, right? So the power of positive thinking can drive you right into a ditch if you don't keep an eagle eye out for ditches when you're driving. So this works a little bit different in the copywriting process because the driving is sort of like the writing and you 
you want to keep your eyes out, but you, you want to make as many mistakes as you can just go crazy when you're writing and, and then come back later and, and prune it and, and make it a little, a little more acceptable uh, while still possibly provocative. So what can possibly go wrong? Well, as I'm sure you know, there are dozens of ways a promotion can fail. And you need to learn what they are. And sometimes the only way you learn is the hard way through painful experience. And hopefully that won't happen to you. But here are six questions that you need to ask about your copy. I would say these are the areas where things go wrong the most often. Where could the reader get confused? This is tricky because very often we have the curse of knowledge when we're writing copy. So something that is abundantly clear to us is a complete mystery to a reader. But you need to find out that someone who's intelligent but busy and not particularly well-informed about your topic will understand it, will not get confused. Second one's a little trickier. Um, Where could the reader get bored? A lot of people don't understand how to make things exciting and interesting. And all I can say is learn how. Do whatever you need to find out how to do that. When you have some copy and the performance of the copy is mission critical, who are you going to call? Not Ghostbusters. They don't do copy critiques last time I checked. A lot of people, from the most advanced to the up-and-coming copywriters, reach out to me. I do copy critiques. One client. Brett Alcorn has hired me 20 times. Yep, 20 times. That's because on the very first critique I did for him, he doubled his conversions on a video sales letter. Every month, I do a handful of critiques for GKIC members. These are copywriters and small business owners who are trained and experienced, but they need another set of experienced eyes to go over their copy to take it to the next level. One A-lister told me I go over copy like an IRS auditor. Now, I wasn't sure whether to take that as a compliment or not, but he assured me it was. He said, I can find the one flaw or several flaws in copy that no one else was able to and make winning suggestions on how to fix them. So when you need a copy critique, just go to garfinkelcoaching.com and click on the services tab, garfinkelcoaching.com for a critique. Thank you. And now back to the show. Third thing. This is a big one. I see this a lot. A lot of people will write copy sort of with a template or with an outline where they just have different sections. Um, they, they don't really get the flow of copy as one long conversation with the reader. So it's okay to use an outline. It's okay to use a template. But the, the third area where things can go wrong, this question, are the transitions between your sections smooth, okay? Now, the fourth one has to do with testimonials. Man, oh man, there's a lot of testimonials that suck. And I think they suck for two reasons. They're totally not believable. They just don't sound real. And sometimes the person is so excited that they're just gushing and you have no idea what they're saying. (laughs) So question is, are your testimonials believable and understandable? And sometimes someone can send you a testimonial and you know what they're saying, but you don't think a reader will. So you can say, 
you know, I'd like to change a few words. I think this says the same thing as you were saying, is that okay with you? And, and get a written, yeah, that's okay with you. An email would do. Uh, the, the fifth one is, this has to do with your offer. Do your prospects easily understand what they're getting? Not can they understand if they really work at it? Because you know what? They're not going to work at it unless they want it or need it so badly that they can't live without it and they can't get it anywhere else. And number six, are your ordering instructions clear? And does your shopping cart or your order page work? I mean, those six areas, people who haven't dealt with those things in advance deal with them after the fact at great expense. Have you seen issues like that when you're working with clients and you, maybe when people send you their own copy or they send you the previous version before you start doing a new version? Yeah, I think the most common things that I see is, I'm, I'm going to add to what you said about testimonials, testimonials that are from people that their ideal prospect can't relate with. And mm-hmm. I think relatability and testimonials needs to be there. And then also... Uh, when you said the offer, a lot of times people are not clear on their offer. And if I'm not clear exactly what I'm going to get, if I'm not clear on how it's going to be delivered, if I'm not clear on the results that I'm going to get from buying this, the transformation that I'm going to get, whether it's going to be a physical product or whether it's going to be an online product, whether it's going to come through email, whether it's going to come through the actual mailbox, if I don't know all of those things, um, that also can be a huge... And I see that uh, a lot of times with sales letters, leaving the room too dark and asking people to walk into that dark room is probably the biggest killer of, of most sales copy that I see out there. Yeah, um, that, that's a great point. I, I like that a lot. I agree with everything you said. Okay, so let's go to the third one now. And this is problem, agitate, solve. Problem, agitate, solve. Dan Kennedy made this formula famous, but he didn't invent it. It's been around in one form or another for as long as people have had problems and needed some motivation to solve those problems and then needed solutions to those problems. And problem, agitate, solve is a very valid formula for a certain kind of prospect. But, and there are large groups of prospects that this is good for, but some copywriters get stuck in the think positive straitjacket when they try to use it. So this is going to get a little squishy. I mean, a little squishier than usual, Nathan, but here we go. So in order to get someone in touch with the problem they have, they need to recognize the problem when you describe it. That's, that's obvious, right? Um, here's where it starts to get a little squishy. Even more important, they need to just not recognize it. They need to feel it. It needs to feel real to them, like a real problem. Now, in order for you to describe a problem to them in a way that they feel it, you need to be able to feel it at least a little bit for at least a little period of time yourself. See, there's a difference between empathy and pulling your punches. Some people think empathy is just being nice and never rocking the boat or rippling the waters, but it doesn't have to be that way. You can be 
understanding without being wimpy about it. And this takes some experimentation sometimes. And as far as your copy goes, it may take another set of eyes now and then on your copy to see if you're striking the right tone. But here's the bottom line. You need to come on strong while still maintaining some dignity on your part and respecting the dignity of your prospect. Okay. That's a, that's a fine balance. I think you know what I mean, don't you? You need to come on strong. You need to say, yeah, you have this problem, but not, you have this problem, you piece of shit. No, you have this problem. I respect you and I'm being, I'm, I respect myself, but this is a real problem. This could cause your life to go downhill fast if you don't fix it. Okay. And so you make the biggest claim you ethically, whatever your ethics are, everyone's got their own. You make the biggest claim you can ethically and legally. There's not quite as much wiggle room in legally. You can about the solution. But in your final copy, you, you don't cross that line because that can get you into a ton of trouble. So, yeah, um, thoughts about that? You know, I have a couple of questions, actually. Um, number one, it feels like negativity can be useful if followed up with or followed up by positivity. So you start off with here's the negative situation that you're in right now, or here's the negative situation that I was in that I'm pretty sure you can relate with or that a lot of people are in and you might be one of those people. And instead of just harping on the negativity, you want to make a transition into the positivity of here's where your life could go though. Here's where you could be if you act now and if you get this solution. Um, I see that. And, and that's kind of like what the problem agitates solution pattern is. Here's my question though. Mm -hmm. The way human beings work, the way our minds work, emotions have a resonance. So we wake up in the morning and we stub our toe and then we go out and we, uh, we jump in the shower and the hot water runs out halfway through the shower. And then we're getting ready for our day and the coffee machine breaks. And then we're driving in traffic and we get stuck behind a train. And then by the time we get to wherever we're at, we're in a bad mood and the slightest thing will throw us off and it'll, it'll make us yell at the person that we had no intention at yelling at. Whereas if we have a string of positive things, we wake up in the morning the house is nice and clean. We don't stub our toes. We have perfect coffee. Our, we check the news and all of our stocks are up. And we drive to work and it's a clear, sunny day and traffic is beautiful. And we get to uh, our job or we get to our, um, our business and somebody calls in sick. The first scenario, that person calling in sick can just totally push us off the edge and we flip out on everybody else. The second scenario, the person calling in sick has no problem at all because those, those previous emotions, they're like a piano key. They hit and they have that resonance. And when, it, when the next key hits, if it's on the same vibration, it has more power and it has more power and each one has more power. So when it comes to writing sales letters, my question is, do we want to keep hammering that same resonance or is it safe to move from one resonance to another even though when we even though we know that by keep hitting that by keeping on hitting that same resonance each time it's going to have more power when we switch up to from negative to positive how much 
power can that positivity have when it's been preceded by a bunch of negative resonance? Does that make sense? That's kind of a weird question. No, I, I get what you're saying, and it does make sense. It's sort of abstract, I mean, to to answer it, but I I think that it's sort of like it's sort of like this. You could have a tune that goes da 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 da. Well, that's really a scale, but that's that's like all positive, right? Um and each note gets higher and more positive than the next one. Or you could have another tune that goes, da, 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 da. and that's all negative, right? It just keeps getting lower and, and more dark. But you could also have a tune that goes, da, 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 where it goes negative and then it turns. And and that's what you're doing in copy. In fact, Gene Schwartz even had a term for it. He called it the turn. It wasn't exactly the same thing, but it's basically where you take the the misery and the um, uh, discomfort of everyday life and you turn it towards a brighter future, a brighter experience, a happier place. And so, um, if you don't acknowledge that yeah, maybe there are some rough spots and some frustrations and and some things that make them angry in their life, then you're not going to have a chance even to reach them on the same resonance, the same wavelength. But if you do, then you can turn it around, and and that's what a lot of um, uh, a lot of pitches are all about. So mm-hmm. does that help? Yeah, it feels kind of like a slingshot. It feels like you use the momentum that goes one way, and if you can pull that momentum and, and project it a different way, um, again, it comes into the how do you transition, though? You got you to gotta make sure that you pull off that transition from momentum in one direction and slingshotting it the other direction. Yeah, and I, I think that's, a, that's an awesome analogy, an awesome metaphor, um, and part of making the transition with a slingshot is simply letting go, isn't it? Absolutely. David, another fantastic episode, man. Uh, and I, I uh, appreciate you entertaining my little rabbit trail at the end of the episode here today. Oh, sure. And I, I appreciate your sharing it because I'm, I, I've had that question myself and I bet a lot of our listeners do too. So you guys, you don't only have to thank me. You can thank Nathan for, for his contribution. He makes this adds another dimension to it. Awesome. Well, David, again, appreciate it, man. All the copywriters out there, I hope you got a lot out of of today's episode. I'm a little bit tongue-tied here. Um, And make sure to check out the Copywriters Podcast over at copywriterspodcast.com. Do we have any idea what we've got coming up next time? Honestly, no idea yet. Uh, I'll be working on it um, between now and next week. Okay, nice. All right. Well, until then, we will catch you later. See you later. If you found this episode valuable, make sure to subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes. That way you'll never miss a show.